This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Prodigy episode 18 called Mindwalk. But first, we will start with the news as we always do, and we're beginning things with a new interview with Patrick Stewart in Den of Geek about season three of Star Trek Picard. I thought this was really intriguing because we got a little more detail, maybe, about what's happening for him emotionally. One of the things he talked about was that there's so much tension between Picard and Crusher. Um, I actually sort of laughed because he said that there were issues in the past where Picard thought maybe she wasn't behaving appropriately, which I was intrigued by. <laughs> which episode could he be referring to there? What do you think? I mean, it can't be like naked now because they were doing the same thing and they were both under the influence of something. Oh, so. Damn. Interesting. Anyway, he said that this season, life-changing things have happened for both of them, and that he's furious with her about the way she has, what he said was, has lived with this unexpected event. So we don't know what the unexpected event is, but he's mad at her. I believe it's been confirmed by Terry or someone that they haven't seen each other in years, many years. It sounds like she's been off doing something and he doesn't like what she's been doing. Now, here's the theory that I've seen online and I think has some merit is maybe they had a kid and she never told him. What do you think? I have thought for a while, maybe there's a kid, but it does seem weird, a weird choice for her. Like Carol Marcus told Jim Kirk they had a kid when she didn't want him to have anything to do with him. But that's kind of why I think they would do it because Terry is such a original movie's nerd but it is kind of lifting a story so part of me is like would he do it so op- such an obvious lift but it does create tension and he likes dramatic tension and that would certainly create dramatic tension and there's a guy in the trailer you know that there's a character in the trailer that hasn't been revealed yet that's a young man if you do the timing right you know if they had a kid after nemesis and he didn't know about it like that right kid. after Nemesis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like seconds after Nemesis. It'd be like 20 or something. You know, it's it's possible. I mean, he says fury. What else would make him? It's either something that deeply personal or she's done something very anti-Federation, anti-Starfleet. So I think it has to be personal because he said that the scenes that where he's mad at her are some of the most interesting scenes he's played and that they were both emotionally naked. So I don't think that that would be about politics or policy or anything like that. And apparently they're not actually naked, so (laughs) it's not that personal. But I do think I would need a really good reason for why she wouldn't tell him, because that doesn't fit with who she is and who they are. We also got in that same interview a little, we know that there's a thing between Riker and Picard, at least at one moment, the kind of Crimson Tide moment, and he talks about how Picard makes mistakes, and he likes that because it makes Picard human. So again, this is all the kind of stuff that they didn't do on the show and really didn't do in the movies, but is the source of dramatic tension. Yeah, he was very, you know, he said what he's been saying all along, which is we're not just getting together and playing poker and talking about how much we love each other. So he said we're living in a very different world from the one that was on The Next Generation. He threw out a thing about how he hopes season three has, you know, political impact and that the world needs Picard. I mean, he's been saying this every season and, you know, you know, what were there strong political allegories in the previous seasons? I mean, maybe. This seems to be important to him. Sure. Maybe season three has a political message that we haven't heard about. That would certainly be a way to sell him on the idea because he was against it to begin with of bringing everyone back. So it'll be interesting to see what that is. The good news is that all of this makes me more interested in season three because, you know, sometimes you read these interviews and it makes you go, oh, no, what are they planning? But this was all very positive and intriguing. In other Picard news there was another image that came out last week we talked about uh, there were three images now there's another one of Worf where you get a good look at his outfit um, and a good look at him and it it looks good what's interesting he's not wearing a Starfleet uniform although he does wear one in another trailer 
Um, so this probably shows him arriving on the Titan for the first time. But he's wearing a kind of Klingon outfit, but with a Starfleet badge. So this could be back to that idea, back to him being some kind of ambassador or something yeah. like that. And maybe that's what he's been doing all these years, which has something to do with the Dominion or the fallout from the Dominion. And he's got a sword. Designed by Dan Curry. Um, a new one. A little one. Um, we had a little more news about what's happening in Picard season three from Terry. So he had told us, you know, he had told Trek movie back in September that the captain of the Titan isn't one of our regular characters that we know, but is a major character and is played by an actor he's very fond of. And so all this sort of opened up on Twitter recently when a fan suggested that the guy who played Deacon on 12 Monkeys, I did not watch 12 Monkeys. I know you did. Um, Good show. Good show. Todd Stashwick would make a great Starfleet captain. And Terry replied, now that's a good idea. Or actually quote tweeted and said, now that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, he pushed this out to his time. I mean, it's it's like it, at this point, Terry, stop with the winking and the nodding. Just you're you're saying he's in the season because yes. he's all he's also previously said, I've put someone from 12 Monkeys in the show. It's obviously Todd Stashwick, <laughs> who has been in like everything, including in Enterprise. He played a Vulcan in Enterprise, you know, yep. so he's a familiar face. Um, and he was a Romulan posing as a Vulcan, apparently. Fair. Yes. Just yes. just to, you know, before someone <laughs> writes an angry letter and calls our hotline. <laughs> So there's also, I did notice on IMDb, there's a stuntman who has a credit as Todd Stashwick is Stashwick's stunt double on Star Trek Picard. <laughs> there is a scene in one of the trailers, I think the Star Trek Day trailer, which kind of looks like him with an exploding console. I mean, if he's the captain of the Titan, eventually... I I'm assuming he's going to die halfway through the season. Yeah, or something. Because someone's got to take over the ship. It's going to be Picard or Riker or Jordy or Worf or some one of those guys. Or seven. Or seven. The chances of this guy making it through the season are very low. But <laughs> I think he's much more than just in one episode because he's you know he's been talked about as an important character. I'm going to guess two episodes just for fun. <laughs> Okay, there you go. But he'll have some big scenes. He'll have some moments. He'll become important. And then that'll be the end of him. That's my theory. One too many exploding consoles and he's gone. <laughs> His um, parts are flying. <laughs> yeah. Why they can't fix that even in the 25th century. I know. Well, if, you um, know, I'm, okay, forget it. I was going to get go off on Discovery and the flamethrowers. but Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not do that. Just a reminder to everyone, Picard Season 3 premieres on February 16th. 2023 which is in exactly two months i know crazy so something that happened last week for our european fans paramount plus is now in four more countries so france germany austria and switzerland so as of now paramount has completed their european expansion and they're only going to do basically half the continent for the rest of the continent they're rolling out something with Comcast called Sky Showtime, which has a selection of Paramount Plus shows. But uh, getting back to Paramount Plus, uh, for the big event in Germany, you know, they did a blue carpet event. Anson Mount flew out. They really are pushing Strange New Worlds in a big way. It, it makes me feel like whenever when I'm looking at the way they're publicizing Star Trek around the world, Strange New Worlds is taking a more prominent role than Discovery. I think it has become the flagship show of the streaming service for Star Trek. What do you think? I totally agree. It's funny. I was out last night with people with, at a work thing, and we were talking about the, the Star Trek series, and someone was saying to me, oh, I... You know, I watched some of Discovery, some of this, some of that, but I am blown away by Strange New Worlds. And I was like, I do think it has a broader appeal for a lot of people. I think they sometimes people can't get over the animation hurdle of the other ones. And I think Discovery, also because it's so heavily serialized and you can't just jump in and watch an episode, is hard to push as the flagship show. Yeah. I mean, it really, it paved the way for every show that came afterwards but i agree with you that strange new worlds is is where they're hanging all their hopes and dreams 
I mean, it's a subtle thing, but when Anson walked the blue carpet, he came out with the head of all streaming for Paramount and the head of international for Paramount. So he was flanked by the biggest executives and they did a big, you know, they did a, an event inside where they showed the first episode and, you know, the head of Paramount was there. So he's hobnobbing with the big wigs. Yeah, I mean, we know season two is coming, but I think this show is going to see many seasons. I think that they. Oh, you know, yeah. Paramount likes the show is what is the message we're getting. I would agree with that completely. And he's such a good front man for anything. You can bring him anywhere. He's fantastic. He's stylish. He's fabulous. He's articulate. Yeah, they, they had the you could inside the event in Germany. They had like a Top Gun you know, motorcycle you could sit on, but they built this whole transporter set and you could get beamed up on social media and Anson did it too, which was fun. Yeah, and this they did a slow-mo with him swinging his scarf around. I mean, the guy just looks great. He's so handsome. He's a handsome fellow. <laughs> so you're going to be able to bring Anson home. The first season of Strange New Worlds is coming to Blu-ray and DVD and Steelbook. That announcement came out this week. It's going to be March 21st. The usual thing, you could pre-order it now. There'll be special features. It's amazing how every few months we're getting a new release. There's going to be, I think, in January, uh, the first half of season one of Prodigy is coming out. Last week, uh, Discovery came out. Lower Decks came out, I think, in October. They still seem committed to physical media. Fans are saying, why aren't you doing 4K HDR? And I do think that's a it's amazing how much physical media they are doing. So few shows do 4K HDR. Movies do that, but TV shows, it's like super rare. It'd be cool if they did it. I wish they would, but it's kind of astounding how much physical media they're still doing. It's not a given for a streaming company. Not everything that Paramount has on Paramount Plus gets a home video release. The Star Trek shows do, and I hope that continues. Someday it will end, people, in the next decade, you know, but uh, they're still doing it, and that's great. Well, and they know that Star Trek fans want physical media and want extras. And this one comes out, I just need to point out the importance of the date, just two days before my birthday. So I'm just saying, (laughs) just pointing that out. (laughs) Just putting that out to the world at large. Another cool piece of merchandising news that came this week is from IDW, who are just really doing a lot of Star Trek stuff these days. You know, they have this new ongoing series. They have another um, spinoff from that ongoing series coming out next year. And they, they keep on announcing new things. And the new thing they announced this week was 30th anniversary celebration of Deep Space Nine, which is next year. And so in April, they're launching a new mini series called Dogs of War, which is set during the show. And they're calling it a lost episode. And literally involves dogs. Yes. It's very on the nose. Um, (laughs) Somehow, I think like every issue is going to deal with a different dog. Um, It's impossible to explain. Um, It sounds funny. It sounds like a Ferengi episode. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm really impressed with what IDW has been doing ever since they brought in this new editor named Heather Antos and she's treating Star Trek you know, she kind of talks about it like a you know Marvel Cinematic Universe you know kind of build she's building a comic universe which is tied to canon of course but it's impressive so if you're not reading the Star Trek comics you may want to dip your toe in cuz they are really ramping up and Heather is very invested in the Star Trek stuff and you know I follow her on Twitter and she talks about it with such passion and I Happen to know she's connecting with certain talented artists and people like that to do work for the comics. So uh, it is. It's an exciting time. I'm not a big comics person, but um, I feel like now is a good time to maybe get involved and start reading some of them. One of the weird things about, and I don't really understand what this means. So there's with comic books, you get multiple covers, right? And one of the alternate covers for each issue and they issued the first one. So it shows Quark with this Corgi. So the first issue has a Corgi. 
but apparently every issue is going to connect what they're calling an amazing diorama of DS9 characters with look-alike canine companions. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing all five issues laid out with all these, <laughs> you know, everyone gets their own look-alike dog. That's crazy. I love it. All right, switching over to Prodigy, before we get into our review, we have a little bit of news, which is they did not win um, the Emmy for Best Animated Series. So there was the first annual Children and Family Emmys that happened on Sunday. They were nominated. They didn't win. But uh, the production designer won a special um, Alessandro. Now I'm going to mispronounce. Alessandro Taini. Alessandro Taini. he's He's an Italian boy. Ah, there you go. He speaks with a great Italian accent. Yeah, I loved what he had to say. So he won a special jury award for individual achievement in animation for production design, which the show is gorgeous, very much deserved. It's a pretty big Emmy. They didn't win the biggest Emmy, but it was a pretty impressive thing for their first season to win an Emmy. And as I've said with Lower Decks, both of the animated shows are really getting a lot of love from the critics. And, you know, I think that's great. They deserve it for sure. Agreed. The event was hosted by Jack McBrayer, who is famous for 30 Rock and a million other things, um, but also is the voice of Badgie on Lower Decks. And one of the big highlights of the night was that LeVar Burton was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for his work on Reading Rainbow. This part made me laugh. He was introduced by Lawrence Fishburne, which is so cool and great, except that he referred to him as Gordy LaForge. Gordy. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) We were going back and forth on Gordy for a while that night. Uh, But there was a great video tribute that had Whoopi Goldberg in it and it wrapped up with Patrick Stewart. So that was really nice. LeVar made a great speech, talked about being inspired by Alex Haley, who's the writer of Roots, Gene Roddenberry, and Fred Rogers. So before we get to the review, last week uh, we did the episode Ghost in the Machine And I did an interview with the writer and we had a lot of questions and you may want to check out that interview because he answers them in a clear way. Um, That's Chad Quant. Yeah, he talks about the specifics of why they picked each holodeck program for each character, their decision not to, you know, jump right into following up on the cliffhanger, stuff like that. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So go have a look. I also interviewed John Noble and we talk a little bit about this week's episode, which we'll get into as we discuss the, the episode itself. So it's time to talk about Mind Walk. It's kind of the penultimate episode, if if you consider the two-part finale a single episode. So this is kind of a big deal. So what did you think of it? I liked it. There's some stuff I really liked about it. There's some stuff I felt was a little too cartoony. But I think these three episodes feed the finale well, as it were. They probably could have done them in two. But each one has its merits. This is the best of the three leading up to finale episodes, I think. And certainly an interesting take on a sci-fi trope, if not a Star Trek trope, the possession slash body swap trope, which I did enjoy. You know, I liked it. I'm ready to get to the finale. And uh, we'll we'll talk more in detail later, I guess. (laughs) I loved the stuff so much. I'm normally not a fan of the body swap trope. It's, it's, I just feel like it's always very silly. So a kid's, to me, first of all, a kid's show is the right place to do a body swap trope because it doesn't actually make any sense. And the execution was so phenomenal from the vocal performances to the way they moved the characters and their, their physicality, even though it's animated, made me just like jaw drop, happy, grinning, smiling, <laughs> enjoying every second of that. And it's a great way to introduce that. It is a, a Trek trope, so it's a great way to introduce it. And I love that it was very funny, but also had these big emotional moments too. And moved the plot forward in such a big way, sort of. <laughs> yeah, you you can't say nothing happened. Like people complain about the last two episodes to say, Nothing happened. I actually disagree with that in the previous episode because we learned about the construct controlling Janeway, but something happened this time. Yes. No, and and the the body swap made it happen. So it wasn't just an inconvenience or a wacka wacka. It was like the main 
It was the thing we've all been waiting for because people were definitely, I think viewers were starting to reach the end of their patience for they can't tell the people on the Dauntless what's going on. Because it seems like there are a million ways to communicate besides comms and all that. Just write up a, uh, write up a lovely note. And stick know. it in the window, which obviously they can see, which is another issue. So <laughs> that... Paint it on the side of the ship. Exactly. No, and you totally could do that. I mean, I actually have thought of that myself specifically. So given that, what a wonderful, creative way to move us to the next spot, still create a problem. So it's not we we're not imagining an easy solution on the other side, but so much fun along the way. Yes, and it's kind of a weird, fun way to see Janeway, Admiral Janeway, fully getting what's going on with the kids and saying the thing we've been waiting for her to say, which is, yes, you know, I understand and I'm with you and I'm going to help you. But the whole time she's in Dow's body when she's saying it, which I we didn't expect, although Brett does a great job. Oh, my God. Of doing her, for sure. He did, and they both did such amazing jobs of speaking like the other one. Both of them, A++. Like, I was blown away. It was very funny to hear Kate Mulgrew talking like Dal. And then he captured, like, her intonations and the way that she says certain words and just her elegance. Yeah, it was broad, for sure. But you certainly get it, you know, and it's and as you mentioned, it's far more than their voices. I mean, Dal couldn't walk in her little short heels, you know, and. Well, and also he's a very physical character, so he's always moving his arms, moving his legs, changing the way that he's sitting, shifting his position. That's what he does in the episodes. He's he moves around a lot. And, and he so, couldn't sit in the captain's chair. Right. Right. You know? He couldn't sit in the, But that first scene when he, he just decides to lie on the floor, it's like so right. good. And and all of the movements, everything he said, like all these all of a sudden Janeway's just moving around and and those arms and legs are going everywhere. I just thought it was so great that they captured all that stuff. And then you noticed when she's in Dal's body that, you know, he's very still. Right, poised, sitting in the chair properly, yes. as it were. Yeah, the execution, A+, plus, no notes. And, you know, they've definitely played it up with the music, especially... Oh, yeah. The Dal and Janeway's body stuff on the Dauntless was very Looney Tunes music time, you know, when he walks into the bridge. And they very much are playing this for laughs. And, you know, and it was funny, for sure. Yes, successfully played it for laughs. which is the key and the music across the board popped and again i mean it's always really good but just the way they hit these emotional moments and the music swelling at the right time and little tinges of the a voyager at the right moment and things like that i just really uh felt it you felt it in your bones but it was still a good i mean everyone else had their moments too i mean it was big episode for dow Bigger than he realizes, actually, unfortunately. Yeah. Poor little augment. Yes. As we discussed, that's, you know, we know that's going to be a problem. Although the way they've kind of presented it as a problem kind of makes me feel like they're going to have a solution. You know, in the season finale, it's just not going to end with them saying, no, you can't come in to Starfleet. You know, I mean, everybody else goes off to Starfleet Academy and he just skulks away. (laughs) No. Yeah. Well, that that's an interesting question when you say everybody, because I'm just going to jump to a different topic. Murph is getting smarter and smarter. He's he's now listening and, you know, he was part of the plan, pointing things out. He's listening to Admiral Janeway issue commands. Well, who wouldn't? But yes. You know, and responding appropriately. So does Murph go to Starfleet Academy? That I don't know. <laughs> We don't know if Murph wants to go to Starfleet Academy. No, but in my interview with uh, the writer from last week's episode, he specifically said Murph is no pet. He's, you know, there's more going on. So there's an arc here. And uh, I don't know. That's that, that's an interesting question for the finale. But uh, they've definitely set up that Dal's got a problem here. And the question is, does Gwyn tell him? Right. Because that'll just crush crush the little boy. 
But you know, Rock, again, you know, just a great science episode for Rock. My favorite science-y thing is when she's... I know exactly what it's going to be. I the feel babble. Like reconfigure the deflector yes. dish, which is a, you know... To emit a tachyon pulse. <laughs> I, mean, just, I mean, just straight out of the... If you, if you had a button on your desk that said, you know, generate technobabble that's exactly what it would say it, it, it you know and reverse the polarity and then to put the icing on that cake jenkins response made me laugh out loud again where he said yeah sure why not beep boop beep boop and pretended to press some <laughs> buttons and then he goes jenkins doesn't know how to do that and rock goes oh like it was such a fantastic exchange it made me laugh and then rock so cute oh just so disappointed it, it implies that which is is should be correct but star trek often messes this up is that science and engineering are very different you know scientists don't always know how to do the tech stuff just because rock knows the theory behind reconfiguring the deflector dish <laughs> do a minute attack on pulse <laughs> yeah they were clear that you know because she didn't know how to do it either right you know Whereas Data would have known how to do it. Right. Data is data's data. Spock would have known how to do it. But if you are going to differentiate your engineers and your scientists, that's the right way to do it. One of them suggests the solution. The other one implements it or right. doesn't in this case. Just goes beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He he really didn't. Jankum really didn't get to have a hero moment except for being part of the charades game, I guess, which was hilarious the way he was swimming in space. <laughs> that was really good. But Rock did, Zero did, and obviously Dal did or in, yes. in a big way. And uh, Hollow Janeway kind of, oh. you know, it started so tragic. At the end of last week, when she showed up on the bridge and said, I'm sorry, I thought that meant she was still doing evil things that she couldn't control, but it, she was just... Apologizing. Yeah, because there was nothing left for her to do evil she was all the ship was already doing what it was gonna do it's so funny because when you said that last week i hadn't considered that like i just thought she was apologizing for what she'd done and as soon as you said it i realized oh that's very possible maybe she's apologizing for something she's about to do and then i got more nervous but then i watched it and i was like phew she did yeah. not. but she again kate's acting the devastation in her voice the conversation between the two janeways where they were they were quite distinct from each other. Oh, absolutely. But I think that that early scene was important to make it clear that because again, it's a kid's show, but even for, you know, and this came up in my interview last week as well of is she evil or just kind of unaware of what's going on or aware but can't really stop it, you know, cuz he said that they'd been building up to this from the they, they knew they were going to do this to her from the beginning. So that every episode, he said, if you look back, it's consistent. But he described it as a Manchurian candidate, which I think is a great comparison of, of um, yeah, she had this hidden programming inside of her, but she was totally normal. And th this idea of her hiding herself away on the ship was just so sad. But as you said, it's great that there's been this thing of Janeway was always semi-functional. There were always gaps or whatever. And there was that point where Gwyn found all that extra stuff. And I thought that was going to lead to her becoming fully realized. But it, it was really Janeway had to fix Janeway. And that was kind of a, a beautiful little thing. Right. She's the only one who could have done it or would have known how to do it. And I loved when Hollow Janeway removed herself from the bridge. It, it was tragic and sad, but it was also very practical. She was doing the right thing, which was, if I don't hear you, I can't mess with you. Which is why, because I was confused for a second, because when Dal as Janeway, should we have names for this? It's like Admiral Dal and, J, you know, Jane Dal or something. Anyway, um, but when Dal as Janeway went down, she didn't know who it was. Like, at first, I'm like, doesn't she know? And then it's, oh, yeah, no, she's literally isolated. She has no idea what's going on. on right. The bridge. On purpose. Yeah. Then there was that they did a, that cool trick where Dal became Janeway visually as well, which is the only time they did that is when they were talking. Um, and she, you know, proved it by talking about their sister. Right. Who, the, who has only come up in the I mean, was there was an episode where Janeway mentioned she had a sister. 
didn't say her name, but in a couple of the novels and not uh, that I haven't read, but I read about them and in the autobiography of Catherine Janeway, which I did read, she talked about her sister, Phoebe, who was a painter. This, I think it's semi-canon because it was, it was first came in the book written by Jerry Taylor. So, you know, I think a lot of certainly Voyager lit fans consider that book to be canon because it's Jerry Taylor. But we know it's technically not until it happens on t- on screen. <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, no, that was nice. You know, but the, the whole scene itself was very powerful. I felt. So did I. It was emotional, and it had resonance, and it had highs and lows. It ran the gamut. And yet, it was like a combination of Mulgrew and Brett Gray. Right. Very very complicated scene for them to do. But it, it works still for kids. I think it'll it'll still work for kids. Yeah. Well, I'm a kid and it worked for me. <laughs> I mean, I did find some problems along the way where I was confused about why certain things happened the way they did. And some of that, I will say, OK, waving at each other from the windows. It's a kid's show. That's fine. Yeah. How close you have to be to another <laughs> ship to actually see someone wave. I mean, it's. You cannot be a safe distance away and see people waving, is my thought. No, you know, but it was funny the way, you know, they suddenly randomly saw Dr. Gnome and it's like, didn't <laughs> they realize how close the protostar was? But, you know, it was, yes, there was a lot of those kinds of moments where they were playing the joke instead of the reality. Did, did you think that Dow was too good at charades for someone who didn't know what charades was? You picked up on it pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, they weren't playing classic charades where you say first three <laughs> words, five syllables, second syllable. So that's the only part you need advanced knowledge of. The rest of it, it was really more like miming. <laughs> True enough. Yeah. But then they could have used that the whole time by just waving at the out the windows to explain. Yeah, or again, the... making a giant poster and sticking it in the window <laughs> would have also done it. But it was it was fine. It it played out so well that I forgave a lot of those things because it was such a great ride. So this was an interesting episode for the Vaunukat, both of them on the Dauntless. Essentially, like I, I'm trying to figure out, like, did she ever figure out what was going on? Because Janeway shows up on the bridge and she immediately goes for her phaser because she goes, Janeway, you know, and when Janeway calls her in and she realizes that she doesn't recognize or know anything about her. I'm still like confused why she didn't just stun her with their phaser. Well, so I was wondering about that. And even more than that, when who she thinks is Janeway, but it's Dal says, is there any way to contact the protostar without using comms? Essentia knows what this living construct is. Oh, 100%. Yeah, right. But that would have raised a red flag because... Essentia knows how the whole thing works. That's why she wanted Tysus to get the whole fleet there. You know, she was the one who who instigated that. So I was a little confused about some of Essentia's choices. Well, I just thought, what is she? Yeah, the, the same question as you had, which is, what does she think has happened? We never know. Maybe we'll find out in the next episode, even though now Janeway's back um, in her own body. But in the break, I assume she's thinking that, you know, the karate chop, you know, did something to her head, you know, and that she can't remember 24 hours or something like that. That's the only thing that she, she couldn't have jumped to body swap. Although, no, <laughs> eventually, Dr. Gnome, I think everyone else started figuring out. And I'm glad about this is that people being possessed or people being imposters or shapeshifters. Starfleet, these, a lot of these people live through the Dominion War. They are on the lookout for imposters. And it became pretty clear Janeway was not Janeway. Whoever was walking around in that body was not the same person. And Which is why when, when she said to Dr. Nome, don't you know who I am? And he said, no, we do not. Right. Um, I was glad because it's like, yeah, you know, there's only so far you could go faking it. And he was very bad at faking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had literally nothing to go on. No, yes, so Starfleet person. Yeah, no, he right. Was All that terrible. was great. He spat out the coffee. I mean, that was a big one. Yes. So, and suggesting that they pew pew pew, going back to our early episode 
<laughs> there were just so many moments that it was very obvious. <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing. So my brains are fine. I'm just busy thinking real hard. That's all. And I love when he goes, you in tennis, you're in charge. <laughs> That's got to be a violation of, you know, Starfleet HR rules. You know, that's kind of racist, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's no it's much better than the kinds of things McCoy used to say to Spock. Well, the 24th century <laughs> is is kind of like the 2020s compared. You know, I mean, we've we've come a long way since the 1960s. And so is the Federation. I, I don't think. You could call someone a green-blooded hobgoblin on Picard's <laughs> Enterprise. And I don't think you could call someone, you know, you can't call an Andorian antennas. I'm sure that's against the rules. Yes. Uh, maybe that was the thing that finally pushed them over the edge, that she violated Starfleet protocols or whatever, you know, by saying that. that like, <laughs> maybe. You know, it really no could have. It could have been. You know, one of half a dozen things. It could have been. The, I think. I think it was the finger guns that was. <laughs> so the diviner finally did what I've been predicting he was going to do. Yes. Which is, but I, I, I don't think he's. He hasn't shifted. It was a strange conversation. It was. He was doing one act of kindness as a th- as a thank you. Yes. But I don't. But he has not shifted gears but he has accepted the possibility of failure well i didn't understand his last comment where he said because of my mission i must do this yeah and then he because that doesn't help the mission or does it well i mean so if she's gone crazy then maybe freeing her helps his mission because she's no longer because tysis is in control and maybe he'd rather have the crazy person running around the ship but I think it was more genuinely he was doing it to help her. He seemed confused. He seemed sure. confused. I was confused. I was a little bit confused about what he was saying or where he was going with that. And then when, <laughs> first of all, I did think it was a little weird that they just, you know, tied her up and left her alone in sickbay with a couple of guards. Well, first they left her alone in the closet because he came back with zip ties. Right. It's like, don't you have a replicator? I told you they were going to put her in a closet, by the way. But um, <laughs> no, it was, you know, in sick, but they had her strapped down. And no one around. And no one around. He manages to get in. He gets her out. And then their terrible security team is just standing there with their backs to the do- I mean, the whole reason they're standing there is to keep her from leaving or keep something from happening. And she just sneaks out behind their backs. And I thought she... She or he, because it's really Dal, should have asked the diviner, can you distract those guards so I can get past them? Because I just thought, wow, I, they're fired. They are so fired, those two. Well, but Dal wouldn't have known because Dal, as Janeway, was unconscious because of the hypospray. So right. Dal woke up in the bed not knowing how he got there. It just was too easy. It was too easy to sneak past Starfleet security post. At the door. You shouldn't just be able to sneak out behind their backs. I did ask John Noble about this, and he said, you know, he sees that the diviner can be redeemed in his mind and is certainly more nuanced than just a villain. So I think there's more to this. Oh, I think there's a whole backstory coming of the diviner and the vindicator and how he's changed. He's had a lot more time than she has. Since he arrived. Yeah, she's on mission. She had that evil smile as soon as she knew that she they were calling the fleet. As yep. he, you know, so everything's coming up Vindicator right now. <laughs> <laughs> she is on mission and happy, happy as a fake trill. That is for sure. He is now conflicted. Yeah. So he is trying to stay on mission, but doubt is seeping in, I think. He's just roaming around in the corridors by himself, carrying handcuffs, basically. Right. I mean, let's face it. He, as an unknown entity, should have a security person assigned to him. But they just let him walk around the ship. Whatever, well, you know. security's a little lax on the Dauntless. That's They're going to have to <laughs> tighten things up, obviously. I don't know whose fault. Is that Janeway's fault or is that? Well, who's the head of security? We don't we know. We don't know who the head of security is. Maybe that's the whole problem. They don't have one. <laughs> they, well, that it is one of those, because it's the secondary ship, it does seem like Tysus, Gnome, and Essencia are just always together. 
because they're the three famous actors. And whenever there's a situation, it's the three of them. We got a couple people voicing in this. Actually, um, Dee Bradley Baker and Angus Emery both voiced random characters because they they finally had to have some other people talk on the ship because there's so much going on. But it's generally them, wherever. It is, and it doesn't always make sense. Like when Janeway's body, when Dal was on the hull, which again, peeking in, I keep wanting keep want to say the view screen is not a window. Um, but anyway, peeking in, giant face. Um, <laughs> it's, do- it's the doctor who says, we can't beam her back because of the spatial distortion from the merged warp shields. And I thought, why did that come from the medical doctor? Because he's Jason Alexander. I can't, that's, a, that's really the answer. I mean, I would have reversed. I would have had the doctor say, beam her back. And I would have had Tysus say his line. Just would have made a little more sense. It was still funny to say, um, the admiral's on the hull. <laughs> well, I I think that's it, that they're working backwards from the joke. I think a lot of this, this gets back to when I started talking about this episode, is that there were a lot of gags they wanted to make happen in this episode, and they made them happen whether it made sense or not. Right. And it was funny, but it's one of those things that when you think about it later, it's like, did that make any sense? Maybe, maybe not. But it was still funny. But I don't think the humor detracted from the key emotional moments, the two Janeways moment, a great moment with Dal Janeway and Rock of, you know, telling her that she's going to make a great science officer. That whole scene was great. And the scene with the Diviner, you know, very complicated scene, you know, probably the most dialogue we've got from the Diviner yet, and certainly the most nuanced. Yeah. All that stuff was the better stuff from the episode. The the humor was fun and cute, but not as important. I've been waiting for John Noble to get more to do because he's such a talented guy. Yeah. And in the last couple episodes, he's had some really interesting stuff to do. You know, so I, I could only imagine it's going to get better as we get closer to the finale. So I've got a little nitpick I want to mention. Um, All right. It's so tiny, but it's when Janeway wakes up in Dow's body. So she looks down. She's got purple arms. She's looking up at the kids. She knows. Well, first she sees Murph and right. goes, ah, like it reminded me of that scene in E.T. And they say that she has swapped bodies. And her first the first thing she says is impossible. But first of all, it's self-evident that she's swapped bodies um, because she's in another body and she's a scientist and it's happened in Starfleet before. And she's experienced a um, mind meld different, but the Sulu thing, you know, she later mentions that she became a salamander and she famously said to Harry Kim, you know, weird is what Starfleet officers do. So weird is part of the job. Was yes. The- so. Why would she say she's a scientist? She should. I'm going to take on your nitpick. Okay, go on. Because I think they all do that. I think Spock has said it. Data has said it. Everybody, their face. She said it when she was literally looking at her reflection and seeing a different face. I think they start with, that's impossible, and then start figuring out the next piece. I think that is such a normal thing that they've all said in every iteration of Star Trek. Wow. I think it's a very normal human reaction, and it is impossible. I mean, it is a particularly impossible thing, but that's why she said it, and it didn't. She didn't persist. Had she persisted and said that couldn't be what happened, but she was acknowledging the um, salamanderness of it. Let's just say, like the extreme craziness of it in that moment, and then immediately was like, "Okay, let's figure out what we're going to do about this." Speaking of the salamander thing, there was a few deep cuts. I mean, the Organians, they did some Organian lore here. They did, although deep. they've 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 adopted the mispronunciation and they all say Organians because that's the only place they've ever heard it is from the doctor from a couple episodes ago who called them Organians. That's true. Well, the Phoebe thing, I think, was was also another deep cut. Was there any other references you spotted? I mean, Threshold is the big one. Yeah, everyone's going to remember that one for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my canon notes were just that, Organian, Phoebe, and Augments. Yes, they've brought up Augments enough to know that that's going to be a big deal. Right. Well, there were, for ship people, if you notice at the end, they you know the fleet of ships, there was fam- a lot of familiar looking ships. There was Defiant, 
type ships, Defiant class, Centaur class, Akira class, and a lot of Sovereign class ships, which is the same class as the Enterprise E. This is just a few years after Nemesis. I bet fans are going to assume one of those ships is the Enterprise, but I doubt it because we know that Picard's not captain because they've already talked about the um, refugee crisis, and now he's an admiral and he's left the Enterprise. But I doubt this ship is going to bother to introduce who's the captain of the Enterprise in canon after Picard. It's an unnecessary distraction at this point. I mean, I new Star Trek loves that shot of all the ships coming in. All the new Star Treks want their shot at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> at least there was more than one ship type. The yes, <laughs> Picard season Picard season two did a like a whole bunch of types. This one just had four types, which is a little better than Picard season one, which had like one and a half uh, types for the right. whole fleet of ships. It was a big. Copy paste job on season one, but you know they they but that literally set up the finale. So we could now tell the finale is somehow this one dinky little ship needs to get away from like forty right big bigger more powerful. They're all bigger, you know, because we pretty much established how small the protostar is. It really doesn't stand a chance, except that it's got the weapon on board. So. I kind of have a feeling that something bad's about to happen, but somehow they'll figure it out, I right. guess. Well, we know something big and bad always has to happen before something good happens. Just like life, right? <laughs> so were there any other character moments or did we learn anything about Chicote? We kind of saw the attack on the protostar yet again. We knew he came through a time travel thing right so yes we hadn't seen him say it but we knew that it happened what was wonderful about that scene was another subtle bit because now it was kate as because they switched it to quick kate at that point right when she asked if he was alive yeah and she actually didn't even have to say it just the kind of i think she said is he didn't she just say that is he yeah I don't yeah. know. You could just tell she was in kind of Janeway command mode. And as soon as Chicote came up, she changed. Yep. You know, it was definitely a moment for her. So I, I liked that. So, so far, we've gone through this whole season and we've yet to see Beltran contemporary. It's all been done through flashbacks and recordings and all this kind of stuff. It's interesting how they've done that. Right. Well, he's stuck in the future. So right. These are flashbacks with. to the future, which is weird. Recordings from the future. <laughs> when we saw the Vandekot. And we did see the Vandekot two dreadnoughts carrying the construct um, onto the ship. Right. Even though it, it can float, but they had to carry it for whatever reason. <laughs> so. Because it's scarier that way. <laughs> exactly. But there's still a dreadnought on the, on the, on the Dauntless. Right. Under the coffee table. He, he is the coffee table. Right. He I, is the coffee table. He's a transformer. Right. Like, does he, like, if people come in and put their feet up on him, does that upset <laughs> him? Well, I don't know. Ask Odo the same question. I feel like he used to do things like that as well. <laughs> someone spills coffee on him. Like, at some point, he must just want to kill someone randomly. Like, well, I think I he always wants to kill someone randomly. <laughs> so he'll take whatever excuse he can get. In the finale, he's going to be rampaging through the ship and he's just going to randomly stop at one ensign and just kill him and say, that's for spilling coffee on me. Right. Vengeance is mine. So I'm ready for the finale. I liked this episode. Got a little silly at times, but it's a kid's show, so I'll allow it. The, my favorite stuff were the emotional beats with the Janeways, the Chakotay moment, that, that moment with Gwyn and, you know, and the other Janeway. So, but that's the thing I love about this show is that I'm torn. My favorite moments being a mix of the emotional stuff, which I always love and I'm a sucker for, and the pure comedy in this was so well done that I I was gleeful. So I'm going to bring up a nitpick that you usually bring up, which is the when technology doesn't work to allow the plot to happen. And that's, you know, you know what, it's just part of Trek and fine, except now it 
it bugs on a different level is that they established early on that the proto-warp drive wasn't working, which allowed this episode to happen because they could have just ran away. Right. Um, but two episodes ago, the whole point of that episode was to fix the proto-warp drive, which they did. And that gave them the time to tell all their backstories. So did Janeway, when hollow Janeway was messing with everything, did she turn it off? That's what I was wondering. But why? I mean, the obviously the construct would want the proto drive to work, wouldn't it? No, because the Dauntless was right there. And if they could, if the Dauntless captured them, then they're good. Then the, the weapon... But it set a course to Earth. This all seemed to be constructed so that they would stop and have a little thing with the Dauntless. Because really, what it wants to do is just get to the center of the Federation and infect as many Starfleet ships. They're still way far away from the Federation. So the Construct doesn't really care about the Dauntless. They already showed the path it's already picked to the center of the Federation. It has no desire to stop and have a chat with the Dauntless. The only reason that happened is because the proto-warp went from working to not working so that this episode could happen. Right. The only thing I could come up with was that she'd done it somehow, but the motivation is pretty shaky. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's fine. But then tell us why it stopped working. Don't, don't spend a whole episode fixing it. Then create an episode around it, not working right afterwards. Yeah. I would agree with that. That is a legit, and it is talk about a Star Trek trope. I mean, it's such a, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> typical they do that with transporters all that's working now it's not it can do this but it can't do that so um but usually they have some kind of hand wavy explanation right and you know and there were various times during this episode like oh we'll just beam her off the bit we can't beam her off because of blah 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 right can't do this because of yada yada another um god i'm just nitpicking the hell but this is something that star trek has always done that i always thought was dumb like you thought that and and I thought that the way that Ascensia was going to make things work in this episode was to pretend to be Janeway using right. her cool. But all she had to do was move Janeway's badge into her quarters. And it's like, we've seen that happen in Star Trek. That's not new to the show. But it's like, can't the ship and or the badge know that no one is attached? attached? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's smart technology. Our you know, our Fitbits know we're alive. You know, I would one would assume the same technology exists in a com badge, but apparently not. Apparently not just, in Star Trek, not in the world of Trek. That's really not on this show. That's kind of a Star Trek thing, but it's, right. it's, it's always bugged me. Yeah, I, I think it would have been cooler to see her do it. But I guess that would be too many fakers, right? Because Dow was already if Dow's going to be the fake Janeway. Right. I mean, the question is, can she be anyone or can she only be the identity that she has? This gets back to, I don't think it's like a hologram thing. We talked about this earlier. The way it um, possibly fools like transporters and medical scanners and, you know, because she's probably had to go through all sorts is it it's probably something more fundamental. It like changes her DNA and everything. Right. So I don't think she can, you know, spin the dial and pick another person. I think it turns her into a genuine trill, you yes. know, and then not. And so. it's a good thing those uniforms have those nice high collars to cover up <laughs> yes. the back of her neck. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the uniform changes because, I mean, do the Vaunacott and Trill have exactly the same kind of bodies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a, a little weird thing. It's not, not a nitpick. It's just a curiosity of Dow's. When Janeway was in Dow's body, his little ganglia yeah that thing was just whipping around like crazy i I noticed that too it was so i was just thinking about the fact that normally he's moving his body around all the time so maybe when he's still the ganglia has all the energy and has to keep moving around they called it a ganglia in the in the episode with the doctor yes i think it was unconscious it's just like it it's all moves. part of her not knowing how to use the body. And so it just was whipping around. But right. I thought that was kind of funny. It was it noticeable and funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's, I think, enough for Mind Walk, unless you have any other things. I have two favorite lines, two okay. additional favorite lines that we haven't covered. And one is Dal as Janeway saying, I changed my mind, not in a weird way, but in a totally normal way. I can change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very funny. And then I also really 
liked when Zero saying, okay, so try not to look down or to the side or up. <laughs> well, okay, so I've got one, um, and it's one that should make you happy when Janeway says, this is not my first rodeo, and Zero says, what's a rodeo? Yes. You know, because we've been saying they know too many um, colloquialisms. So they're at least admitting Zero doesn't know what a rodeo But now I want to see Zero at a rodeo. <laughs> Going yeehaw with a cowboy hat. Yeah. I don't think they're still going to have rodeos in the future. Cause yes, because it's animals. It, yeah, animal cruelty. Definitely. Yeah. Unless it's like sentient animals that like to. No. So. Like Narnia horses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, maybe it could be, a, you know, a holographic rodeo. But even still, that would be like a blood sport thing. So, yeah, it's no. weird. Okay. Okay. So to your point then, why would people still refer to rodeos in the 24th century if they say we're outlawed, you know, by the 22nd century? Well, I'm going to go further back and say, why did Kirk talk about dipping little girls' curls in inkwells? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you always bring that one up. That is my classic <laughs> one. But they also, or they'd say things like, let's make a long distance call, which yeah. is almost not a thing now. So any predictions? How's Janeway going to get out of the brig? I mean, there's no Vulcan around to do a mind meld. That's the shortcut they usually take, right? Do a mind meld and you'll see it's really me. So she's got to somehow... I also don't know the relationship she has with her crew, right? Because we don't know... You know, on Voyager, she had people she was very close to. So like in Kirk's body swap episode... You know, his officers knew who he was, so they knew when he'd switched and they knew when he'd switched back, you know, once they figured it out. So I don't know how close she and Tysus are. Obviously, she and the doctor are not friends. Yeah, the Dome was like accusing her of endangering the ship. Tysus yeah. previously was refused her order. Asensi is a double agent. I don't think she's got any friends on this ship, to be perfectly honest. So sad. <laughs> so, you know, to break her out of the brig, to pull a Scotty and blow a you know, hole in the wall. Um, maybe the kids are going to come over to the Dauntless and, and break her out. Maybe the Diviner's going to help. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. She needs help. That's a, I mean, that, but that is an interesting point you make. Like, you don't sense that the Dauntless crew are her family. Right. They're her, the people she's been assigned to her for this mission at best. Right. They haven't been on the mission long enough to establish the kind of trust we've seen with our other captains and their crew. Which means she needs allies. So her best allies could be the kids at this point. Yeah. If they could get off their ship. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of pieces that we need to fall into place. But it's a great setup for what's to come. I'm so yeah. primed and ready. So let's move on. All right. So it's time for our bits of the week. I'll start off with something a little festive, a little Christmassy. I just love local news stories when they talk about Star Trek fans because they're just filled with cliches that are groany but fun at the same time about out of this world and beaming in. And so uh, Starfleet, which is one of the fan groups, there's the USS Renegade chapter, which is in Youngstown, Ohio, and they are working with a local charity and they are fundraising and they're out on the street helping out uh, feeding of the homeless and hungry families. And so they're doing all this great work and it's just always fun when, you know, the local news WFMJ from Youngstown, Ohio covers the local Trekkies. They got all the names and stuff, right? So they, um, they didn't say Gordy LaForge. No, <laughs> uh, no references to Dr. Spock or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, I miss those. And Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. That's the thing I was. God, I hate that. Yeah. It's always been a favorite, a classic <laughs> since I was a child. <laughs> so, what is your um, Christmassy uh, themed bit of the week? Yeah, mine is also holiday themed. So, it's a post. Uh, Mike Akuda posted this. He posted it on Twitter, but his Facebook post got into a little more detail. But he was talking about the anniversary of the premiere of a Charlie Bound Christmas, which is a classic. And he said that. When he was working on Next Generation, during the second episode, he volunteered to do some graphic screen animation using traditional cells. And so he didn't know how to get them shot onto film. And he remembered seeing a credit on Charlie Brown Christmas for Nick Vasu. Um, so he looked him up in the phone book 
And then he <laughs> called him. And Nick, who had worked on Charlie Brown Christmas, ended up shooting all the cell animation for computer screens for the first couple of years of Next Generation. And he posted this with this very cute picture of Linus and Charlie Brown, like, leaning on the wall in the snow. It's very sweet but what a fun fact i love when he's full of fun facts and that was i love connecting the dots on pop culture things that i love there's a, a super deep now trivia question of how is a charlie brown christmas connected to star trek the next generation yeah so that's it for another week of all access star trek come back next week for our review of the first part of the two-part season finale called supernova of star trek prodigy and please come to the site, let us know what you think of the podcast, post a review on Apple Podcasts. We could use all the help we can get. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.